Hey, Nerd Talk Nation. This is your host, Jordan Halstead, and I've got Mike with me. And today we are going to be talking about one of our favorite movies, DC's The Dark Knight. Micah, thank you so much for joining me. Not the Batman. Yeah, the Dark not Knight. the Batman. We got to we got to set the record straight. The best Batman film. The Dark Knight. Yeah. So uh, thanks for having me. I'm just absolutely. Uh, I'm excited because this is one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, you know, we've, we've had a lot of conversations over the past couple of years of what, like, our favorite movies are. I typically lean towards uh, The Winter Soldier, but The Dark Knight is definitely up there. And we were talking about this uh, yesterday, two days ago, something like that. And as we were talking about what we're planning for the next few podcast episodes through this month as, I, as we're recording and whatnot, I said, hey, we're going to push out a Dark Knight episode. And you're like... Are you talking about like the comic book series? Are you talking about a TV show? Are you talking the movie? Because if it's the movie, I'm really excited. And as we, we continued that conversation, you made this one comment that I absolutely loved. And it was that movie stands up 15 years later. Mm-hmm. Like it, it's not something that just is a time period piece. That is a movie that still stands today. Yeah. And uh, earlier this afternoon when you called me, I, I threw it on my iPad when I was sitting at work and working on some stuff and something that came to mind about this film. I mean, there's so many great moments and there's so many, there's such a great cast and there's, we'll get into that in just a few minutes, but like something that I, I thought about was um, the reason and the way that they created this trilogy of films. And I know that we're going to talk about the dark Knight, the specific, you know, that specific film today, but, but the, you know, coming out of the nineties, coming out of the eighties, coming out of this, like, cartoon-ish, comic-y, pow, snap, bang, you know, kind of Batman. Yeah. They went completely the opposite. And I think it paid off in a sense because you got a sense of realism. They designed Gotham that way. They designed the cast that way. It just, it just from the, you know, Batman Begins through the Dark Knight Rises, there was just this feel of, okay, we're immersed in Gotham City. We're uh, immersed in this sense of realism both uh, locally and abroad when we get to the Dark Knight. But the the sense of, uh, I keep using the word realism, was just so real in this movie. And it made you almost feel like, hey, this could happen um, where we live. And somebody could be a vigilante and somebody could take on crime, you know, head on because, you know, the police force can't do it themselves. And yeah. Um, that was just something that I thought about today. And, you know, that, that's not even, you know, getting into to talking about how great the cast was and how great Christian Bale was as Bruce Wayne and Batman and how Heath Ledger just crushed it as the Joker and it will never happen again. Um, Aaron Eckhart as Two-Faced, or Two-Face, um, excuse me. It's it just, the movie is stellar. And my earliest memory of this film was, um, did it come out in 8, 2008? 2008, yes. Oh, man. Gosh, that seems like a lifetime ago. But um, I remember being home from college and I was an undergrad at the time. And I remember just going to see that movie as many times as I could in the theaters. Like I wasted I feel like I, I wasted Dark Knight was my Avengers. Yeah. Like how, how you just kept going to see it. And I, I saw that film and I feel like that's that's the equivalency for me. I mean, I was a poor college kid, as, as most college kids are. And I wasted every dime I had and every dime I made that summer just going to see The Dark Knight until it wasn't even in theaters anymore. I remember going to see it like opening weekend and like it being a packed theater up until the point where there was like four of us in the theater watching that movie because I had seen it so many times. But then <laughs> uh, even when, you know, it came out on DVD, you know, it, it just 
even now, like I remember buying it on iTunes and, uh, you know, watching it on my iPod touch and my, my first iPad. And yep. it, it just, I would watch well, it's it not when a I would movie. You just sit, watch and just be done with. Like, yeah. I feel like there's like the Batman. I've only seen it once. And like, I'm going to try to watch it again at some point. I've said that a few times <laughs> over the past few months, um, on this podcast alone. And I just, I don't know that I can the same way like the Dark Knight. I can just pop in. Mm. I will say it's interesting too to you know I, I've only seen the Batman. I want to say twice. I saw it in theaters, and I think I watched. It I think you time. said something about watching it at home when it came out. Yeah, and then um, you know seeing Ben Affleck in the Justice League and um, Batman versus Superman: Dawn of Justice, like. I think it's uh, the only real difference that, you know, I mean, obviously the suit is different and, you know, the character is different and the actor is different. But like the only subtle difference that I noticed going back and watching The Dark Knight now is how round the mask is of the yeah. Batman suit, like versus what you see with with Pattinson and the Batman or. Um, uh, sorry, Ben Affleck with with the Justice League and. The other thing is that his his ears are kind of longer as well. I was, I was gonna say the ears are longer. Like Ben Affleck's are more like that small daredevilish kind of feel. Yep, and they're not like they're not as long as Michael Keaton per se, but they're still pretty long in respect oh gosh, to Michael Keaton. Yes, they were like six inches long. It was insane. But yeah, I mean, what what were your thoughts on you know? I mean, I feel like I just spilled my guts in this because I love these movies and I think that they're a time capsule in of themselves. But what did you think? No, of- that's I mean that's why we we do this podcast is we we have such a passion for the stuff that we talk about. Um, all the stuff that I've got geared up for the next few weeks is because uh, we we do two episodes a night uh, when we when we record these and I'm just like I'm so excited to see what what content we're gonna be talking about. Um, for for this movie alone, I think this was such a beautiful follow up to the Batman or uh, or Batman Begins, um, not the Batman, the Batman Begins movie, because uh, they had you know Ra's al Ghul, they had the Scarecrow, and to have like those realism pieces to that, that was really cool. Can I and say too? To, can I say yeah? Before you, I think Batman Begins is super underrated. Oh, 100%. Okay, keep going. Sorry. 100%. I think I think the whole franchise is just solid, but I think that the most attention goes to this film because it just completely shook the superhero genre. Mm-hmm. And I I would argue that this is one of the reasons that helped uh catapult Marvel into its success because I know it's DC and versus Marvel, but that was the same summer Iron Man came out. And when you're getting characters who are billionaire playboy philanthropists and they're going through this and you're getting such a stellar movie and then Iron Man, which was a stellar movie, I think that helped propel what would come with the MCU and I think that helped kick things off. Um, but this movie, I just, like you, you started naming some of the characters or some of the cast members and I feel like you missed three massively important characters. Being, let me guess, let me guess. Commissioner Gordon. Yep. <laughs> um, Morgan Freeman. Yep. Uh, well, I'm... <laughs> Lucius, I should say Lucius, and I should say Commissioner Gordon, and then um, Megan Gyllenhaal. No, not Megan Gyllenhaal. What's her name? It is that one is uh, Megan or Maggie Gyllenhaal. Because they changed, they went from Katie Holmes to that. I'm yeah, sorry, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Not worried about. Not worried. But that's about. not who you're thinking about. Um, nope. Did I say Heath Ledger? You said Heath Ledger. Okay, then who am I missing? Alfred, Michael King. Oh, you didn't say you yes. Didn't say, like those three alone, but that whole I, you know, cast, 
from the entire the cast. cast. Like it's yeah. You, you know, there's these movies that come out like Grown Ups or uh, like when they do the big star-studded movies like the Valentine's movie, the New Year's movie, where they get like all these like massive ensemble casts together um, of really big names. Anchorman was one of them. I think that honestly, the Dark Knight series was that. Like just this beautiful ensemble cast because Morgan Freeman, I love characters like Samuel L. Jackson who can carry stuff. But Morgan Freeman is the absolute legend. And I'm just like, oh, my gosh. And then you bring in the finesse that Michael Caine brought in as Alfred. And I'm like, oh. And then Gary Oldman just playing this, you know, I just, I loved his Gordon. Oh, my gosh. His Commissioner Gordon. And here's the thing. Commissioner Gordon has had a lot of crap over the years because sometimes they'll paint him to be some idiot. Sometimes they paint him to be super Batman loving. Sometimes they paint him in this really cool, uh, like, I'm willing to take on crime. I'm willing to take on a bat suit. Like, there's, there's a lot of different pieces to how they've written Commissioner Gordon over the years. And I just think that this one specifically of I'm willing to fake my own death to help make sure that Gotham is okay I'm willing to put my family's safety before my own. I'm willing to make sure and fill in the dots. Like this guy, the way they wrote that character, I just, oh, I loved it. And I, I think of those three before I even think of Christian Bale um, with this. Like not that Christian Bale was not a good Batman. I think he was phenomenal as Batman. And he was a really good Bruce too. I just don't think of Batman when it comes to this before I think of like, Gary Oldman, Michael Caine, Morgan Freeman. I think those guys just, for me, they just carry it. Well, that, and I think that, like, um, you know, name a better cast for a Batman film. Like, seriously. I mean, I'm not trying to, you know, downplay the other Batman movies, but, like, you know, you just named, you know, three people that weren't even Batman. <laughs> like, um, and the fact that they, from, you know, start to finish, from the opening scene to the end of the movie, like, it's all just phenomenal acting. And you uh, you look at other Batmans, and it's like, okay, okay, Batman and Alfred are great, or maybe the villain's great, but, like, not from beginning to end, not the entire list of the cast. No, I don't think so. Yeah, and I would go even further than just Batman. Name a movie franchise that it's not like you look at Iron Man and I think the first movie, definitely the cast carried that. I think that um, Terrence Howard playing Rhodey was good. I liked it. Um, Gwyneth Paltrow being Pepper. Fantastic. Jeff Bridges coming in. Fantastic. But then you go into the second one. Well, then you've got Don Cheadle, which if you're not familiar with his work, he's not going to stand out the same way that Terrence did because you're just like wait they replaced him with a guy who looks nothing like him go ahead no I was going to say time out so the other day I was just laying in bed and I was trying to find something to watch and I'll watch like a you know a sitcom or something before I go to bed just to kind of unwind and I threw on an episode of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air and I don't know if you're oh yeah when when Don Cheadle shows Don up Don Cheadle's in the first season of the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air is yeah. one of Will Smith's best friends and I thought that that was hysterical the other day when I was just laying in bed. I'm like, that's Rhodey. <laughs> but like he had like crazy dreadlocks or not like oh, yeah. super long ones, he, but he had short ones and he had hair. But in most of the, the Marvel movies, his hair is super short. 
Yeah, like that military shortcut, the mm-hmm. buzz, and, and and he looks so different than what Terrence Howard looks like. I mean, yes. skin complexion, the height difference, everything was different. And their voices aren't even comparable. I wish they would have just done him for all, for, you know, from the beginning. But that's just a that's a whole separate podcast and a whole separate conversation. Yeah, yeah. But like, <laughs> you know, the, the cast changed. And so the second movie, it really came down to Tony having to be, or like Tony being the, the main for that one. I mean, Mickey Rourke coming in and then Robert Downey Jr. Like they, they played well enough off each other. Justin Hammer, like, I mean, like it started to kind of downhill and it was solely on Iron Man. And then by Iron Man 3, it was completely on Iron Man. Mm-hmm. Like that, that it changed. But in the Dark Knight series, especially in this movie, it wasn't just Christian Bale. It yeah. was an entire cast, which I absolutely loved. Well, now, it almost it almost felt like there were there's you know you had this big overarching story in Gotham and what was going on in Gotham, but you had all these little pieces that played together so well. Oh yeah, the, like you had the Joker over here running, you know, running around creating havoc, and you know he was screwing with the mob because he didn't care about money; he just he you know cared about creating havoc, and so he worked with the mob and manipulated the mob, and he even you know manipulated Two Face, and you know. The Joker and then was you've gl- got Two Face dealing with romance, dealing yep. with political stuff, trying to take down the mob. Like you had all these characters with so many story elements that blended so well in one overarching story. Well, and Jordan, you, you talk about triangles, right? Like how many sides of the, you know, how many things are in a triangle? Three, right? It's a yeah. three-sided object, right? So you had you had Bruce or Batman, and you had his love interest with with Rachel, Rachel, right? And then you had Rachel with. Two face or two face, yeah. Not two face, but like, um, why can't I think of his name right now? Harvey Dent. <laughs> yes, thank you. I was I want to say Aaron Eckhart, and I'm like that's his real name. Um, so Harvey Dent. So you had a triangle there, but then you also had a triangle between the Joker, the Mob, and Batman or Bruce Wayne, and then you had the triangle between, you know, like you had all these triangles, which made the movie so successful because like everything played so well off of each other, and it was just like a true. I don't know. It was like a puzzle that fit really, really well together. Well, and th- there were little aspects of this film that did really well because, and, and I think Fantastic Four, Rise of the Silver Surfer, really opened my eyes to how awful this is. Movies abroad do not typically do well. Like if you take an American film and you try to shove it into another country, like they, they went to China and they were blowing stuff up and it's like... It, you can blow New York up, but you can't blow up like whatever place in China and then go get married. It, like it just didn't it, like all these different world trotting adventures. And so even like what 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 was it? Uh, I mean, even Age of Ultron, I think, struggled a little bit to do some of that. Well, Where this one, they went to Japan just to get felt, that guy, and they came right back. Exactly, and I think that they handled that globe wow, trot was portion. Name really really quickly and really well and and they just handled it really well Mm -hmm. what were you going to say before i interrupted you with the whole triangle metaphor oh no uh you know one of the other things i think that really made this not just this film but the franchise as a whole was the tumbler i Mm. loved the bat tumbler that just the the military-esque kind of feel that that brought in and then for it to be blown up in the second movie i'm like Ooh, that doesn't that that hurt the heart because I love that thing. Heck, I even have it in Lego form. I, I that's my favorite. I've got it in my Rocket League. I've got it in all these different areas. And I'm like, are you kidding me? But then they turn around, 
and they give us the bat pod and like Batman on a motorcycle and that thing just what what were your thoughts of the the tumbler and the bat pod and and all that so i think that they timed it perfectly because you got to see what that was like in batman begins and that was like his his main vehicle of transportation yeah and batman begins and that was perfect because if you remember in batman begins they he you know he had Wayne Manor but it wasn't like the batcave was completely established at that point and yep. so like he had to like jump the water you know under you know underwater he had to jump that you remember how he had to jump like the the water to get back into the batcave so yep. like he used that to get in there and like you know it was perfect and then like the timing of that like when he got it and Batman begins up into about halfway through the dark night there was this um it felt like it ran its course, but he wanted something new or he needed something new. And so um, it wasn't like they were completely getting rid of it because they revisited, it, you know, that and the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah. And um, then they, you know, you know, bring in the. Then everybody got one. Yes. <laughs> even, you know, Bane. Um, but it just it was cool. Like, I just thought it was cool, like, especially when he's driving through that mall and he's, oh, yeah. you know, the he's able to, you know, dodge and you know, dip through really tight spaces, which he would have never been able to do with the tumbler. And so, um, and then one of my favorite scenes, the whole movie is my favorite scene, let's just be real. But, and um, <laughs> when he's going through the street and the Joker's in the semi-truck and he's like weaving in and out of the telephone poles and then he like, he stops it and then the semi-truck flips and then the Joker just rolls oh, out yeah. and then he goes head on and he 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 has to make a choice whether to kill the Joker or not. Like, that's just, and he's like, the Joker's like, hit me. Like, he's just egging him on, and he has to, you know, restrain from killing the Joker because that's not his gig as a superhero. But, you No know, matter how much he wants to. He, right. He just, he knows he lives by a code. Right, and so they featured that a lot in that scene. You see that, the bike throughout the entire movie, but that was, like, one of the main scenes where it was featured the most. And it was just, yeah. it, it was cool to see the different tricks. I feel tricks. like the... The Batmobile is a character in any Batman movie. Mm -hmm. Like you look at Justice League, uh, the, he drove it through against the the Agents of Apocalypse. You look at Dawn of Justice, he comes in, he's like busting through stuff on on the the Batmobile. The new the Batman film, like look how sweet that thing is when he revs the engine. It got a whole scene, which honestly was my favorite in the entire film. Agreed. Um, it just it was phenomenal, and it I, I hope that that is what. Fast and Furious 10 will look like. Mm. <laughs> like when, when a bunch of Batmobiles. Just, just a bunch of Batmobiles. I want to see, yes, the Bat and the Furious. Let's do that. Well, a quick. <laughs> that's, that's good. That's good. That's good <laughs> Thank stuff. you. I, the Bat and the Furious. The Bat um, and the Furious. The Bat and the Furious, let's fly together. <laughs> yes. That should be the subtitle. Um, <laughs> The you were talking a little bit about Iron Man and we were talking, you know, we always talk Avengers and things like that. But like we we talked about how much. You know, Avengers Infinity War made in the box office and oh, yeah. how much how much um, Endgame made in the box office and how it was going to beat Avatar or not beat Avatar and all these things back a couple of years ago. But uh, I just looked it up and it said that. Um, Back in 2008, when this came out, it said opening weekend made $158 million. And then the gross for it in the U.S. was $534 million. And then worldwide, it made over a billion dollars. And that was in 2008. And, and let's, let's and nobody talked about back. that. 
let's take one step back real quick. The following year is when Avatar came out. So for a year, at, at least a year, if that not a year and a there. half, it sat there as one of the highest grossing films. Mm-hmm. Like, and it, I, I find it so funny because if, if you really look at it, like James Cameron pulled two of the highest growing, grossing films ever with Titanic, Titanic and, then, and Avatar. And Avatar. But then you look at The Dark Knight and, and uh, Christopher Nolan series. Like it just, it built, it built, it built. It created this big hype. And, and people like you who said, this is one of my favorites. I, I'm going to go spend every dime that I have to go see this film. Hey, if my dad's going to take us to the movies, my vote's on Dark Knight. Hey, if I can hop on and one of my friends pays for my ticket, I'm going to go see it. Like people wanted to go see that film over and over and over again, which is funny because it's a longer film. It's two hours and 32 minutes. And at that time, that was long. Like that, that, because movies didn't really go over two hours at that point. Like that was kind of like the, like the good ballpark. I mean, you have movies like Titanic, which are what, like a three, four hour film. It had like a two VHS. Something like that. Yeah. So I mean, like there's three hours and change. Yeah. Yeah. And, And I think like now we're sitting in these, this time where it's like, People want to tell these really long stories, and I'm like, dude, just make like a back-to-back, like part one, part two. Like if you if you've got that much story, just keep going. Which is funny like, you say that and you brought that up because I think that the the amount of time in this movie was perfect for the story they told. I think at the time they thought it was long. Now I, I'll sit through it any time, yeah. not a big deal. I think at the end though, the two face portion with his fan, with with Harvey with or, the, uh, yes Commissioner Gordon's I, family. I wish they would have written Two-Face out at the bar scene where he says, you have a choice to make. And that would have been the last we've seen of Two-Face, and I'd have been A-OK with that because if they would have used that to, to rocket him as a sub-villain in the third rises. film, yes. And, and he just had been one of the villains. Bane and wasn't I mean, my favorite. <laughs> well, you know, Bane... Bane's a very unique character because in comic books, he's not just a muscle character. He is a, a very smart character. He has to use his wits against Batman. He's, he's like, I'm the brains and the bronze. Like, I am, th- I, I am it. Like, just all the way across the board, I'm the guy. And I think the 90s, 80s, 90s Batmans, when they did Bane, they went for the hulking monster beast. And that's mm-hmm. all they really showed. And this one, they didn't really show his strength the same way that they showed his his just ingenuity and how, how to use his mind. I mean, yeah, he had strength, don't get me wrong, but he was kind of like Captain America's strength where it's like the heightened of human capacity, not a roided up like Hulk, which I think is what, what Bane should always be. I think that even even if he's not as big as the Hulk and not like you're you're not seeing like his muscles bigger than my, my full body. Um, I think it, at least to some point to say like, I've got venom, like I've got, I've got a drug. Cause I think that's, that's so true to his character that he's running an illegal drug. Um, and then there was a time where he's like, I'm, I'm getting off the drug and I'm going to try to, to match it without using the drug. Um, and I think if they would have incorporated some of the, like some drug running and like some drug cartel in, into the dark Knight rises, that would have made it better. But going back to the, so the two-face thing, I think they should have saved that character. I don't I, I was really upset that they killed him. Um that was like my one issue with the entire film, other than the fact that they replaced Rachel. I wish they would have kept Katie Holmes. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm I'm a big fan of consistency. Um, yeah, and they didn't do it with that. So, do you know why they they didn't? Do you know off the top of your head if if it was like a contract for her, if she was like already obligated to something else, money, whatever it is? I, I want to say it was money, but okay. I also want to say that it was like they teased the idea of doing a second film, but they didn't have her committed for it, and then it just never happened. And so the stars didn't align for her to come back and do the other ones. Gotcha. And so, um, I mean, Maggie Gyllenhaal didn't do a bad job, but no, um, she didn't do bad. But she just it, it was you could tell that was a different different girl playing the same character. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't. I don't remember off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, Good. No, I was going to say, what, let's, you know, elephant in the room, let's talk Joker because oh Heath Ledger's, gosh. you know. Oh my gosh. All right. So, aside first, from Jack Nicholson, like, that will never, ever, ever, ever be done again. Here, here's the thing about Joker Joker is a villain that has so many sides to the way you can write him. Yep. Jack Nicholson brought a very classy Joker, mm-hmm. the, the more like 1930s, 1940s gangster mob kind of feel like like i'm wearing the purple suit i'm here to like mess it all up and like you're gonna punch me and i'm gonna laugh and that's that's how it is then you go into heath ledger's more of a serial killer and yes and manipulator terrorist he's a manipulating terrorist who doesn't it doesn't seem like he has a true motive other than chaos oh he doesn't care yeah, and that, my, that's one of thing. my favorite or one of my favorite lines in that movie is, uh, "All you people care about is money." And he talks to the guy that's uh, from the Russia mob. And he's like, "All you care about is money." You know, he's like, "We just got to watch the world burn." And it's like, "This world needs a better class of criminal," and I'm going to give it to him. And it's just like he sits there and he lights a pile of money on fire because he just doesn't care. Well, and wasn't that his pile? Like, yes. the, 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 they're like, like, "What are you? What are you going to do with all that money?" He's like. He's like, I'm going to burn my half. Yep, I'm going to burn it. And just like throws the match or lighter or whatever it was on it. Oh my gosh. That was crazy. I, the opening scene though with the bank heist. Oh. Oh my gosh. I could sit and watch that thing on repeat. Well, that was so well orchestrated. Yes. And the fact that like, you don't know which one is actually him from the, you know, if, like it's your first time going to see that movie or if you've never seen it. You know, you don't know which one's him, and they all just keep killing each other. Well, they keep – you don't even know he's even in there at right, first. Right, right. Like, uh, your first viewing, you had no idea that he was in there because they're just like, the boss man said this. But then the way that it kind of – everything falls in line, he told one person, all right, you have to kill this person. You have to kill this person. You have to kill this. So, like, you're not even sure if he, which one he was in the initial point. Until you like you really go back and rewatch and you're like, oh my gosh, he was he was the first he was the guy who killed the very first one who got the alarm tripped. Well, and then like up into the end, you know, he gets ready to leave the bank and hop on a school bus and fall in line with the rest of the school buses when he goes, uh, when that guy's like, What do you believe in? He's like, you know, what you know, doesn't kill you makes you stranger. And he takes the mask off and that music hits. And we're in the theaters and like that surround sound hits, and it's just like Yes, this is going to be an amazing movie. Like it's oh, just, yeah. it just sets the tone for the movie. Like, oh, absolutely, it does. 
And I think what really, for us, that we have to understand in 2023 is that won't be redone. That, that it, it just no one will ever touch something of that magnitude again. They'll they'll attempt things, but it will never be done that same way. You you'll never like you can't. I hate saying it like this. You can never lose something you've already lost. Does that make sense? Like mm-hmm. like anything that it comes down to, like whether it's a first time view, whether it's the first time you hear something, like you have that imprint, you have that memory, and to see that happen and just be in that awe, like like it's great to go back and rewatch it. If you, if it really hit with you and you're just like, man, this was really, really good. I can't wait to see this part. And then like you start quoting it. There was, uh, going back to the Avengers when, when my buddy Casey and I went and saw that there was a uh, viewing and our female friends in our group, the girls had not yet seen it. And we're at the drive-in in the back of my Chevy S 10 and we had everything ready and we've got popcorn and all that. And Casey and I are butt up against the the back of the the cab, and the girls are up closer to the tailgate, and we're just sitting there quoting every line because we'd already seen it like three or four times. And I'll go back and I'll rewatch Dark Knight today, and I'm quoting lines. And I bet you probably do the same thing, right? Yeah, I I kind of had to stop watching it like after the first year. Like I mean, I, I'll still watch it now, but like there was a period of time where I had to stop because I knew every single line of the movie. Um, and I was just thinking about that, like. Um, kind of the setup from Batman Begins to the Dark Knight. Do you remember at the end of Batman Begins when Commissioner Gordon's holding up the, he's like, you really started something and he he holds up the Joker card. And thinking about it now, the, as we talk about it, the, the idea of they set the Joker up for the Dark Knight, the Dark Knight happens, you get that opening scene and then they rob the bank, right? And they're robbing the mob bank. And, um, Batman shows up in the bank with Commissioner Gordon. He's like, one man or the entire mob, he can wait. Batman was so hyper-focused on stopping the mob that he wasn't really worried about the Joker. But the way that that movie was set up at the very beginning was like, he's a threat. You need to, you need to go, <laughs> you need to go take care of him before he gets out of control. And obviously it was just a, it was I would argue done. he was out of control even before that movie started. Oh, no doubt. It, it that, just, guy, that guy was crazy. And, the fact that Heath Ledger just crushed it. I just I sit back in disbelief on how well he handled it. And I my heart goes out to the fact that and it breaks to the fact that that he ended up losing his life. Mm. Because he he put himself in a position so that he would become that character. And that's not a character that the human body is supposed to be like. Um coming from a very Christian standpoint we're not created to be warmongers and we're not supposed to watch the world burn. And like, that's, that's not what we're designed to do. We're supposed to love one another. And, and yeah, there's, there's that and initial sin and all that. And, and that could be a whole theology episode if we did that. But the reality is like, he struggled with that. And I hate that he lost his life um, well, and, and, with all that. And uh, as the story goes, if he wouldn't have died, they wouldn't have killed him and they wouldn't have killed him in the movie. And Did they he, kill him in the movie? They did I not. didn't think. I think they just what wrote I, him out, right? What I'm what I'm saying is that if he if he wouldn't have died in the real movie, the story goes that he would have lived and he would have went on to be in the Dark Knight Rises, which would have been just just as good, if not better. Yes, which makes me that much more sad. Oh yeah. <laughs> um, oh, absolutely. But like, if you had to pick your favorite scene with the Joker in it from this movie, what would it be? Oh. 
Like it could be that opening scene you just mentioned. I I I want to say the opening scene, but I also love when he walks in, like initially to meet with the mobsters, and he and he's smashes like, the guy's magic head trick yep. into the pencil. I'm like, this guy is is absolutely messed up, and he's fearless I, and he doesn't care. Yeah, and and when when he's like, all right, I'm gonna leave, and they're like. All like jumping up with guns pointed at him, like and an he's old got Western. bombs in his. And he, his he opens his jacket and he's like, "I've got the death note" or, or like something like that. And like he's just, "I'll pull the pins, I'll do it. I'm not scared." I I also loved the well, cell phone. Like, well, do you remember the? So he was like, he's like, "All right, here's my card," and uh, he's like, "Call <laughs> yeah. me." Yeah. And it's just it's it's a Joker card. It's literally not. There's no phone number on it or anything. Yeah, it's just he's a Joker like, card. Just just. You just call me, like doing his thing. Well, and, and then the cell phone, like who puts a cell phone in a human body? Well, like Joker. that was nuts. <laughs> um, if what I were you? if I were picking, I would probably pick the the interrogation scene with with Batman in the the, the jail. Oh um, yeah, when you know he he wanted to know where Dent was. And he's like, he, he lies to him and he tells him where, where Den is, but he, he wants to know where Rachel is. But, yeah. Cause he, he sends the police who clearly are not going to be able to get there in time. Right. And so he manipulates that too. But it's like that whole scene where the Joker's just eating it, man. Like he, Batman is beating the snot out of him and he just doesn't care. And he's laughing. That whole laugh is just super creepy. I would have, um, I think what would have made that piece better is if he would have lost a tooth. Like, like just that visual, like a little bit more bloodied, like, because I feel like comic books, you can only go so far to like get the point across. But I feel like if he would have like been smiling, blood dripping because he lost a tooth or something like that. And he, he like spits it out at Batman. He's like, you care about me just as much as I care about you bats. Or like, I wish he kind of would have got a little bit more like that, but. I would, I would say that or the, the whole scene when. Uh, the semi truck and and all that stuff. Uh, oh yeah, when the semi truck flips and stuff. One of my favorite things, and I didn't notice it for the long longest time, but uh, on the semi truck on the side of that tray where it said "laughter is the best medicine" and there's an S that's spray painted next to the L and it says "slaughter is the best medicine." And the Joker <laughs> went. The Joker had spray painted that S on on the side of the semi truck, and they opened the side of that truck, the door to the trailer. And they're all just—he's just standing there, like he—he he could care less if he falls out. He could care less if he—you know—he's just dangling there. And they yeah. get a—they get a bazooka, and they start shooting a bazooka, you know, at things. And then, you know, the whole transformation happens with the tumbler to the bike. And uh, one of my favorite, like he just—he's like he missed because <laughs> because the jerker thought he missed. And then the semi truck just flips completely upside down, and he rolls out. And he's like, oh, yeah. he goes to kill the cop, and he's like, "Will you give me just a minute?" And it's actually Harvey Dent. Not Harvey Dent, I'm sorry, Commissioner Gordon, um, you know, saving the day and, uh, you know, getting that arrest for the Joker. And, um, man, there's just so many great lines, so many great scenes. Um, well, what about when he goes and visits Dent at the hospital? Oh, my goodness. That's, yeah. And, like, he, he's in the, the nurse outfit. And he's, like, like a, he's total, like, dressed up like a drag queen kind of thing. And, mm -hmm. Yep. And then, well, he weird, weirdly enough, and I've never thought about this until now, but like, what's his affinity with, um, with school buses? Cause if you remember, he gets on a school bus at the end, or it's, I'm sorry, at the beginning of the movie 
when he does the bank heist to, to fall in line with the other school buses. And then when he, he leaves the hospital after the hospital blows up, he gets in the back of a bus and does the same thing. You know, comic book wise, I don't think there's anything affiliated to that. Um, I wonder if it was more of a children are even not off limits here. And that was like his message. Um, like, cause, cause I feel like villains often are like, I'll take the lady hostage I'll shoot the man, but the child will be safe. Like that's that's kind of been a comic book trend for a long time. Um well, even in, in stuff or in movies and whatnot. Well, even Harvey Dent at the end of the movie is two faced, like with Commissioner Gordon's kids. Right? Or well, his was it just one? He only had one I kid. I think he had his son. Okay. So he anyway, he had a kid, and you're saying the kids were off limits as far as you know. And even like it, it seemed like too that the the Joker always wanted you to make a choice one way or the other. He did it with Dent and Rachel. He did it with, uh, at the end of the movie with the prisoners in the, the citizens of Gotham. He, he did it with, um, the mob versus himself. Like there was always, there's always two choices when it comes to the Joker. Um, which is kind of ironic because two face was in the movie too. Um, yeah. Yeah. Well, and and this is why I think it should go back to they shouldn't have killed Two-Face. Because right. I think that would have been a great moniker for, like, he kind of maybe would idolize the Joker in some way in the next film. And then, like, he starts doing the ultimatums. And then it, like, I'll flip the coin between, like, I think that would have been a, way, a really cool way to kind of continue adding that in. Well, truth be told, I don't know if they knew they were going to, excuse me, make a third one. Uh, yeah, because the it was four years between the second and and third one. Yeah, eight in two thousand twelve. Yeah, and then Batman Begins to Dark Knight was only two years, two thousand six to two thousand eight. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that that would track a little bit. So what did you? Um, I don't think we talk about it enough, but like film scores, Hans Zimmer did this. You know, I was going to bring that up earlier. I absolutely love how. Hans Zimmer just crushed this series. Um, all three films had had the same style because they had Hans Zimmer do all of it. Um, so he's bringing the same kind of piece, but just that, I mean, the the drums, the deep sounds to it, I just love the way that they handled all the musical pieces because I think what tells a great story is when you can pair music to the action sequences when you can hit the drum at the right spot, when you can hit certain notes at the right spot, like when Dr. Strange multiverse of madness came out last year and they had a music battle and they did like old stuff and it was like pulling it off the page and they're doing Bach and, and Mozart or whatever they you were using. Like that was just, it was beautiful. Mm. And to have those like deep hit points. Um, one, one thing that my boss tells me is, you know, great sermons are made up of many great moments. And I think that when it comes to a movie, it's the same thing. A, a movie is just a ton of small moments that we remember. We may not remember the entire story, but we're going to remember things like Hulk and the Hulkbuster fighting. We're going to see Batman versus Superman and Martha. Like, we're going to remember that kind of stuff. We're going to remember the Titanic sinking. We're going to remember when, when Luke Skywalker hears no, I am your father. Um, we're we're going to remember things like that. 
And so, like, all these small moments, like, we, how many moments have we listed with just the Joker alone, mm-hmm. like, in this episode? And it's because there's so many great moments. And I think that the music that helped build those moments and the, the storytelling that built those moments, everything just so, or it was so cohesive and it worked together really, really well. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm not the music guy, so I'm going to let you go ahead and tell us about the music part. <laughs> no, I'm, you know, I'm a huge Hans Zimmer fan. Uh, yeah. Like there, you know, there's a handful of greats when it comes to film score composing. I mean, you have your John Williams, you have your Hans Zimmer, you have your Alan Silvestri, you have um, uh, Henry Jackman, Michael Gagano, um, several of these film score composers that have written so many of these iconic films. But like uh, for me, top two hands down, it's got to be John Williams and Hans Zimmer. And it kind of paved the way. I mean, Danny Elfman would be a close third. Um, and Danny Elfman did a Danny lot. Elfman. He did a lot of the 80s, 90s, you know, superhero films. He did the original Batman and Batman Returns. Um, but like Hans Zimmer did a, he did a, um, he does these master classes. And uh, a couple of summers ago, he there was an ad on, I don't know if it was like Facebook or Instagram or something where he was talking about, come join me, Hans Zimmer, for, for my master class. And he um, he was talking about the Dark Knight specifically, and he was talking about just that little theme of Batman. And he says that every great film has a great theme. And the great theme doesn't – if the great theme doesn't work, then the theme – then the movie isn't going to be great. And he, what he meant by that was he, he literally talks about um, – how the dark Knight is two notes, right? And it's that minor third that you hear throughout the entire movie, the, and you hear it throughout the entire, the, the Batman begins like the, and it's just basically the string section playing that over and over again throughout the entire movie. And he talks about how, when he came up with that, he was in like a cathedral or something in New York city. And he had like four French horns and he had them placed all over the cathedral, like in the balcony, and on the stage in the back of the room. And like, they played that together and that's how they came up with that really audible, um, vibrant sounds. Well, it's kind of eerie too. Right. Cause it's a minor third. It's literally just, and minor sounds sad or bad. And, yeah. you know, he personally, I think the dark Knight is the best of these three movies. The Dark Knight Rises is the best film score that Hans Zimmer did because he just built on what he had in Batman Begins, The Dark Knight. And by the time he got to The Dark Knight Rises, like you had the whole Selena Kyle thing. Oh you my add, gosh. You know, yeah. you add the whole, the 7 8 and the 5 8 stuff with Bane, the like the whole marching. And it just sounds incredible when you think about it. And like Hans Zimmer does that, right? He just builds on what he has. And another great example of that with the whole theme thing is Man of Steel. He did Man of Steel's too. And yep. um, the whole piano thing with the perfect fifth. And I'm probably talking way over your head and the listeners probably have no idea what I'm talking about. But um, I'm a music person. That's just who I am. But yeah, um, yeah I, I can't say enough about Hans Zimmer. And, you know, what we mean by film scores is just the music that you hear underneath the movie while it's going on and Hans Zimmer has written so many great films. He did the Lion King. He did the Pirates of the Caribbean stuff. He did the Dark Knight trilogy. He's done um, Inception. He's done, uh, I want to say Interstellar. Is that, 
I think I was yeah. the one who did. I think I think he did Interstellar. Yep, and he did a video. I started following him on TikTok a couple of weeks ago, and he he said that's probably his favorite film score. So I think Inception or the Dark Knight trilogy are are his best, but I'm a little biased because I think he's great. And a fun side note, my friend Steve, um, who I've taught music with, you know, over the years, he actually did a an internship with Hans Zimmer. And yeah, when, he, you, when it, yeah, when he moved out to L.A., he would drive an hour and a half to L.A. in the morning, sit with Hans Zimmer for 12 hours and drive an hour and a half back home every day for like six months. But he's also Steve's written stuff for like Adult Swim. He's written stuff for Family Guy. He's written stuff. He actually had like I think he has a credit in Captain America, the Winter Soldier, because he did like an, a sound effect for the movie. That's so, so like, cool. yeah. Anyway. Hans Zimmer's amazing, and I can't say enough about him. You know, you. I'm going to switch gears real quick. You had brought up Selena Kyle, and it made me think about this point. Do you think that the inclusion of Selena Kyle would have enhanced this story? Or do you think that, like, de- the re- or Rachel's death and, and things like that, like, do you think that that was, like, the love interest stuff? Because I honestly, like, they could have just kind of redone where it's like, oh, in this universe, Rachel becomes Catwoman. Um, or they could have been like, hey, we're going to have you as our friend. And like, you're just going to be a longtime friend. And then Selena Kyle comes on scene during this movie. And then Rachel would have taken a back seat. Do you, how, do you think they did it correctly? Do you think there should have been any changes with that? What, what are your thoughts there? Like bringing her in earlier? Yeah, like into the Dark Knight, not the Dark Knight Rises. Could I trade stuff? Yeah. What if they would have done Two-Face instead of Selena Kyle and put Selena Kyle in the Dark Knight? Like, put Selena in the Dark Knight and then put Two-Face in the Dark Knight Rises? And not have him in. Or like, or like, like you said, not kill Two-Face off and have him go on into the Dark Knight Rises and carry over what he yeah. started in the Dark Knight and then have Selena Kyle in. Because she didn't die in the Dark Knight Rises either. So like, no, she, she didn't. But I'm just saying like, like love interest wise, do you think that Rachel was still the right fit? Or do you think that like the first movie kind of it ended? I think it played it. I think it ran its course in the first one or in, in the, like the second one. I think the first one, to be honest. Um, and I like what they did with Katie Holmes at the end after Wayne Manor had been destroyed by the fire and Razal Ghul and all that stuff. But like, I think that it would have been, they could have just written her off and just been done with it and said that she chose another path or, you know, took a job somewhere else. And, you know, she didn't die, but they wrote her off, you know, wrote her out of the movie. Um, and they could have brought Selena Kyle in earlier, I think. I don't know. I think that if they would have brought Selena in, even if it was more like how they did with the Batman, just like a, a little bit of touch here and there, just not, kind of more sprinkle her in, I think that would have been really cool. Because um, then by the second, or by the third movie with Dark Knight Rises, I think they could have done a full-on love interest and it would have been like the cat and cat and mouse game that they they talk about in the comics and they could have really done some some fun things with them um but yeah i just i just was thinking about that part or that part um as we were going in so uh i'm gonna go ahead and say that there's so much more content that could be talked about here but the last thing that i really want to touch on is what was your favorite batman moment because we've talked about everybody except for batman so what maybe one or two favorite moments from Christian Bale's version of Batman? Um, 
Man. I, I, I love in the beginning of the movie when they're waiting for him to show up and he's in the parking garage and all these guys are trying to portray him. And he, what's the difference between you and me? I'm not wearing hockey pads. Like that's, that's yeah. a, that's a great moment. Like, um, the, I, I don't know. I really like, I this isn't really a scene per se, but like, I love the relationship between him and commissioner Gordon throughout the entire movie. Yeah. Um, especially like, when he's interrogating the Joker in the interrogation room of the jail and the Joker's or commissioner Gordon's like, he's in control. He's in control. Like, it, no, he's not. <laughs> he's clearly not. But, um, that, that whole scene, uh, where he's just screaming at the Joker, where is she? Where are they? Um, I'm trying to hold his control or his composure and he doesn't, he can't because he's so mad and he doesn't want Rachel to die. And he doesn't, you know, want Harvey Dent to, to die either. And he just, because he puts so much, pressure on himself i think that it's uh you know that was great acting by christian bale like i think it was just incredible um i don't know like they're they're you know you talk in other movies about how you know it's a certain topic or it's a certain movie but it's really this person's movie even though it's not really their movie like this was totally a joker movie <laughs> it, oh absolutely it, um we talk in other other circles and other movies and other projects where like, yeah, this is, you know, this is a buddy movie or this is, this is Hulk's movie or this is, you know, whatever. But, um, you know, I'll do you one better. Uh, what is, what about, what about um, Bruce Wayne moments? We talk about Batman and stuff that like, uh, I love the, the part where he's driving a Lamborghini and, he was like, uh, what was the exact? Oh, yeah, because that guy's on the news and he's trying to sell out who who Bruce Wayne is uh, to to the news, and he gets him. He runs the red light and he gets hit, and he's like, "Well, you don't watch the news." He's like, "No, why? What happened?" Because <laughs> he's like playing stupid to the fact that he's Bruce Wayne, and he's creating an alibi at the same time for himself. Yeah, I think. My, so I'm, I'm going to answer my question. Yeah, go back, go back to Batman yeah. and then answer the Bruce Wayne thing. My favorite Batman moments. Um, I loved anytime he was in the Tumblr and on the Bat Pod. I just, I loved those aspects. I love the Japanese piece. Where he goes to Japan. Like, yep. When he's there and he, he does. That suit's the, really cool. Yeah. Like, cause, cause it's, it's slimmed down and they're like, you know, dog bites are going to get you. And he's like, I don't plan on getting bit. And like he he needed something a little bit more stealthy and movable, so that way he could he could get real quick um, out of there. I loved that. I loved uh, all that. Favorite Bruce scenes. There were two that I I just felt were very Bruce Wayne, um, because you have to when you're li living and leading that double life as a superhero, you don't want anybody to be like, oh well, he uh he's he's uh clearly batman like you don't you don't want that i think that when he bought the the hotel because the girls were swimming in in the in the restaurant fountain and he's just like here's the check i just bought the place and like like very that that is very much a bruce wayne i've seen him do that a few times in comics where like i just i have to take care of some business 
I'm just buying it. Like, I'm not even going to worry about it. Didn't that happen in Batman Begins? Was that or, Batman Begins? He's like, I'm buying this hotel, and he writes the check for it, and he gets Maybe into the, that's he gets into the fountain okay. with the girls. Okay, and then the other was that I was talking about was because it, it's kind of the, that same thing. Oh, it's, when, he goes into the restaurant with Harvey Dent and them, and he puts the ta- he tells the ta- people to put the tables together because he owns the was. place. Because yeah, he's like, I own the place. That's because yes. because I think it might have been the same place. It might have been one of those that he had just bought it, and that's where I got confused. Okay, the second one was when he's creating the alibi on his way to Japan, and he's got the the boat full of Russian models, mm-hmm. and he tells Alfred, "Enjoy them." And Alfred's like, they can apply their own bloody suntan lotion. Yeah, yeah. He, he's like, they, they can do that. Or, or like, just I love the way that he handled it. Because um, he's like, I clearly have a mission I've got to go do. But he's creating that alibi that I was on a boat all weekend with, with these girls. Well, how about and, when Rachel and, and, and Harvey go up to the, the ballet and they got a picture of the newspaper clip and it said that uh, Bruce Wayne captured – or Bruce Wayne – uh, buys his way to the the Russian ballet and it like has a picture of him on the boat with the the, the ballerinas and Rachel's just rolling her eyes because that's totally something that Bruce would do. Yeah, because because the night got canceled because he he bought out the the Russian ballet. Yeah, I just I I think that those those were really cool moments of how to how to not make it a sexually driven a non-family friendly moment because because really you could you could take that character anywhere you wanted but to create that double life that i'm going to create like a party and be able to put myself there without physically being there and i thought that was really cool and the way that they handled things i was like man that that'll be really a a, a fun way and they they handled his character so well we didn't even talk about the whole scene where he shows up uh on the helicopter because he's doing the fundraiser for harvey dent and that when the joker shows up and uh, he's like, where's Harvey Dent? And he shows up in a helicopter. Bruce shows up with like four models and like, <laughs> and Rachel's just again, rolling her eyes because that's something that Bruce would do. And then uh, he, that's, he I, I always get lost in that scene because I love the, you have a panic room as the girl's like trying to pull her shirt back up. Like, because she's like, like obviously having an affair or doing something. Stupid. Yeah, yeah. She's like, you have a panic room. And, and then he leaves and she's like, jerk. <laughs> I know she's like, oh crap, because like he just leaves them there because he, yeah. you know, they know that the Joker's there and something bad's happening at the moment. And so, um, yeah, that whole scene where uh, he drops Rachel out of the window and he's like, yeah. poor, he's like, poor choice of words. And he just drops her and he, you know, well, he says, well, drop, what well, he says, drop the gun or drop, no. the, or, or drop the girl or something like, or like, Get your hands off her or something like that. He's like holding her out the window and she um she's just hanging there and did, did he say let her go? Yes, he said let her go. And he's like, that's poor choice of words, and he just lets her go and he And he like know. just drops her out yes. of the window. And then just gives the Joker the out that he needs to get out of there. But yeah. Just such a good movie. Like all the way around. Yep. <laughs> and you know, there, there's so much more we could continue to talk about, but we have we, we have even talk about Lucius. Time. I know, I know, but we, we've run out of time. We will come back to this at another date, I promise you, because this is one of our favorites. Um, but, guys, thank you so much for joining us. Micah, I have had so much fun talking to the Dark Knight with you. So, again, thank you for being here. And we will catch all of you guys here next time on Nerd Talk.